Good morning, East Ridge. Happy Easter. Mark 15, 46 through Mark 16, 8. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it, and placed it in a tomb cut out of a rock. He rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath, excuse me, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Salome bought spices they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they're on their way to the tomb, and they ask each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? They looked up, they saw that, that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys have a seat. Thank you, Mr. Dalton. Um, I always think Mark's account of that resurrection story is interesting um, because Mark adds a little detail that the other gospel writers don't actually add when the angel is talking to the, to the ladies who, who witness that Jesus is gone, that he's not there at the tomb. And the angel tells um, the ladies, as, as Dalton was just reading, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And why I think that's interesting is, one, that's the only uh, gospel where that little and Peter is in there. And um, actually, if you know a little bit about this, um, probably the gospel of Mark was written by the account of Peter. Peter was probably the one that we think as uh, scholars have studied this that was telling Mark the story that Mark wrote down. So the gospel of Mark is essentially the gospel of Peter. And so why would Peter in his memory remember that the angel told the ladies to go and tell Jesus's disciples and then add that little and Peter as if Peter wasn't one of the disciples? That's a strange thing, right? It's kind of a, a strange thing to me, although it's not so strange. And we're going to come back to Peter in just a second and talk about maybe why that is. But here's what I want to do today as we jump into the book of Romans. We started Romans uh, in February. A couple months ago, we went through Romans 1 through 4. And all this year, we're going to kind of walk through the book of Romans in different sections. So today starts part two of the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, just go ahead and open it up to Romans chapter 5. You can open it up to 5. We're actually going to read the last couple verses of 4 and then on into chapter 5 in Romans. And then we are, like I said, we're going to come back to the apostle Peter. And here's why. I want to do something this morning that I think we all need from time to time. And that's this. It's to look at sort of the deep theological realities of the resurrection that Paul gives us in the book of Romans because, man, there's so much wonderful depth of truth to the reality of what Jesus has done for us when he died on that cross and he rose again from the dead. That's why Paul is such a gift to the church, the apostle Paul, um, because we have the gospel stories, right? The narratives of what happened, but we don't really have from, from Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we don't necessarily have a whole lot of why things happened and the deep things underneath the realities that we see in the stories. 
But what the Apostle Paul does is as he writes Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and all those letters in the New Testament, he starts to kind of help us dig into what was behind all of that, right? What happened on that cross? What happened when Jesus walked out of that tomb? What was going on in the heavenlies? What was going on spiritually for us? What did Jesus accomplish for us? In the first section of Romans uh, 1 through 4, we talked about us being justified by the death of Jesus Christ on that cross, that we were justified and are justified by our what? Faith. Everybody say faith. Justified by faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, right? By his grace, we are justified by faith. When we trust in him and what he did on that cross, dying for us, that old rugged cross, right? We trust and we put our faith in Jesus. We are justified. That means we're made right with God. And so now, as Paul opens up really into into chapter five, and Paul didn't write you know, a number five in the letter that he was writing. We put that in there later, but as we jump into chapter five, we're going to see him kind of make this shift from the crucifixion of Jesus to the resurrection of Jesus and why that matters for us. And so, yes, I want to look at the deep theological truths behind the resurrection, but then I do want to walk back to Peter and I want us to see how those truths really affect us personally. Because here's the thing, all the theology in the world is great, It's great that we know stuff. It's great that we have our minds full of deep truth. But it means nothing if it doesn't change how you live your life. It means nothing for us if it doesn't actually affect the way that I go about my day today. The fact that Jesus rose on Sunday means nothing if it doesn't change me on Monday and Tuesday and every other day. And so we're going to look at Paul here in Romans, but we're also going to go back and we're going to look at Peter and maybe why that angel said, go tell the apostles and Peter that he's risen from the dead. Pray with me. God, we love you and thank you for your resurrection from the dead of your son, Jesus Christ. And um, God, I, I pray that you would lead us now in your word. Help us to see the deep truth, but also the practical implications of that truth and how it changes who we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point today, two two kind of broad main points that I want to give us, okay? The first point is this, that the resurrection of Jesus seals our justification. If you're taking some notes, here's the first one, okay? The resurrection of Jesus seals our justification. What happened on the cross and in the empty tomb, right? So like I said, as we finished up chapter 4 in Romans, we have kind of seen that Paul made this argument building up through chapters 1, 2, and 3, all the way through chapter 4, that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and that his death paid the price for our sins. But here's the thing. If Jesus stays dead, Does that cross mean anything? If Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, does the cross have any value, any power, any importance? The answer is no, because the resurrection of Jesus seals the justification that we have in him. And here's where I get that. So at the very end of chapter four, Romans chapter four, here's what he says, verse 24. He says, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, that's our justification, being made right with God, right? For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins. And listen, was raised to life for our justification. 
So he has already made the argument in chapter three that we are justified by faith in Jesus by his blood on the cross. And what he's saying here is not that, that the empty tomb really offered the payment for our justification, for our being made right with God again. And when I say justification, I want you to hear your relationship with God, the ability to be made right with God, that you are broken in that relationship because of your sin, but by the blood of Jesus, you are made right with him through faith. So our justification is purchased on the cross of Jesus Christ. He's already made that point, but what he's saying here is that the resurrection seals that truth, seals that promise, seals that reality for us, that when he walked out of the tomb, he proved that what happened on the cross was effective for us. Because again, if Jesus stays dead, it has no meaning, it has no power. He's just another guy that died. People die all the time. Right? And that doesn't mean anything. It's not powerful. It would have been just another dude dying on a Roman cross for his own sins. Because if he didn't come back to, to life, there's no proof or evidence that he is the Son of God or that he is the spotless lamb who never sinned. But the fact that he walked out of the tomb, Paul says, seals our justification. He was raised to life, he says, for our justification. In Romans 1, 4, um, Paul actually already made the argument, verse 4, chapter 1, he says this. He says, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. He's talking about Jesus, to be the son of God, how? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. How did Jesus prove his power over sin and death? How did Jesus prove that he is once and for all the son of God? He was raised from the dead and he walked out of that tomb. So the resurrection of Jesus actually seals our justification. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. I wanted to have this uh, for us up here on the screen today because he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, right? So he's kind of making the opposite point to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 where he's saying, look, the, the resurrection of Jesus matters so much for us. It is the turning point of all of the gospel, of all of redemptive history because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, here's the truth. You and I, still dead in sin. If Jesus is still dead, you're still dead. The resurrection of Jesus matters, amen? Because if he didn't walk out, he's not the son of God. He's still dead, and you're still in your sins. So the other side of that coin is that if he did walk out of the grave, then what he purchased on the cross has been sealed for us. You kind of think of it like, uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit in here. Raise your hand if you've ever written a check. Anybody ever write a check? All right, sweet. Uh, some of you young people are like, what's a check? Uh, Venmo. It's like an old Venmo. Um, so like, you write a check, right? If you were to write a check to somebody and you give it to them, like back in the day, you might go to Walmart and actually write a check and you give it to them. Now that's the payment, right? That's the payment that has been made. It's the payment. The check is the payment. Like it's been paid. When you purchase the thing, you paid with it with the check, but the check hasn't been what? cashed yet, right? So the resurrection is the cashing of the check. That's what it is. The payment was made on the cross. Resurrection is just the cashing of that check, right? Or just think of it like maybe buying a gift for somebody. If you buy a gift for a child, right? You go and you buy a gift. Again, maybe I'm dating myself. You don't go anywhere to buy a gift. You go to Amazon, right? So you buy a gift. You buy a gift for someone and you get the gift and you wrap it up and all that. Like you've paid for the gift. The gift has been purchased. Jesus purchased our gift of justification on the cross. The gift has been purchased. But it's not completed yet until what? Until it's given and it's opened, right? And the gift is received by the person. So maybe just a little bit of way of thinking about why the, why the cross and the resurrection purchases our justification. The cross really did the purchasing, but it's the resurrection of Jesus that kind of seals that 
purchase. Okay, so the second big point today is this, that the resurrection of Jesus, it seals our justification, but it also secures our eternal salvation. Now, some people hear those two words, justification and salvation, they might think they're the same thing, but really I want you to kind of think of it like this, a little bit of theology 101 here, okay? Justification is part of salvation. Salvation is the big umbrella under which everything else is. When we talk about redemption, we talk about being adopted as God's children. We talk about being sanctified by his Holy Spirit. We talk about being redeemed, right? We talk about being justified, being made right with God. All of that is under the umbrella of salvation. Salvation is the big idea, okay? We need justification in order to be saved, right? We need, or we need, yeah, we need to be justified so that we can be saved. And we need to be sanctified by the Spirit so that we can be saved. And so that's why, um, by the way, as you read through the New Testament, you'll actually see salvation, that term salvation used many different ways, um, sort of as a past tense thing, like you were justified and that's your salvation, what happened on the cross, that's part of your salvation. Also a present tense thing, you're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's part of your salvation, right? But also a future tense thing that God's gonna one day glorify us and make us new like Jesus. And that's part of our salvation as well. So salvation is sort of that past, present, future thing. Salvation is all encompassing all of it, right? So the resurrection of Jesus secures our salvation. So I'm gonna read through uh, chapter five, verses one through 11. I'm just gonna read through all that actually right now. Um, so let's read this together. And I wanna pull out a couple things from this passage. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I think that into this grace, I think that's salvation. That's what he's talking about, that umbrella. I'm under the umbrella of salvation. I've been saved by Jesus and I'm in the grace of him, right? He says, in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, again, there's the payment. We've been justified by his blood. Listen, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so, the resurrection of Jesus secures our eternal salvation, kind of gives us this grace, this umbrella under which he said we live under this grace, right? We stand under the grace of God. So our eternity is secure in Jesus Christ and the resurrection proves that. Now, three points that he makes in this little passage that kind of help us to, to know, am I assured of the salvation I have in Jesus? You ever wonder this? How do I know? How do I know that I know Jesus? How do I know that I'm in Christ? How do I, how can I be, can I be, can I possibly be assured that I'm under that umbrella? Can I possibly be assured that I have eternal life in Jesus? Here's how we know three things from that little passage, okay? Number one, we have peace with God. That's what he said. We have peace 
with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in that, that, that next paragraph, 6 through 11, he's talking about being reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. And he says, listen, listen again, verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Here's what he's saying. If Jesus, having come to the earth, born as a helpless little child and lived 30 plus years on the earth, never once committing a sin. If Jesus would do all that he did, if he would heal and he would preach and he would walk around and talk to people and, and meet with people and eat with people that nobody else would do, and he would spend his life being persecuted and mocked and ashamed and all those things, and he would eventually end his life by being arrested and tried and falsely accused and killed on a Roman cross, all of that to make peace between you and God, what he's saying is, how much more, now that he's alive, will he not seal that? Will he not say, I've done all of that my entire life. Now that I'm alive, am I not going to make peace between you and God? Do you think he's a liar? Has, God done, has Jesus done everything that he did in vain? Paul's answering, no. Why would he do everything that he did if now that he's resurrected, he was going to go back on the promise to make peace between you and God? Y'all, that's good news. The second thing, so we know we have salvation because we have peace with God. Jesus secured that in his resurrection. Second thing, we have hope in God, right? We have hope in him, and that hope grows as we live our lives out in faith in him. So verses 2 through 5, he talks about that hope again. He says, verse 3, I'm going to read that. He says, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That hope, that's a confident expectation, that kind of hope, right? It's not wishful thinking. We hope in a lot of things in this world, right? Uh, we, we, we hope that the weather's nice any particular day. We hope uh, the Braves are gonna win the World Series again, right? You might hope in all sorts of different things. You hope, you wishfully think about things every day, just hoping that something may happen. This kind of hope that Paul is talking about, that's not that kind of hope. That's not wishful. That's confident expectation. This kind of hope is a sure knowledge and hope that I know what's coming, what's in the future for me because of what has been purchased for me on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus. He has made promises and he has secured those promises to us in his resurrection from the dead. We have hope in God. And he says that as we go through sufferings and trials, what happens as, as we walk through hard things in life? You don't have to raise your hand, but you ever gone through something hard? Have you ever suffered? Have you ever struggled? Have you ever lost, failed? Have you ever grieved and mourned? As you go through those things, what does he say? That that produces what? Endurance. And that endurance produces character. That word character means a, it's a proven character. It's like an outward expression of an inward truth. It's a character on the outside that proves what's true of you on the inside. And as we walk through those sufferings and we endure those sufferings and we grow in our Christian character, then what is, what is happening to us? We are growing, he says, in hope. It produces hope. How do you know that you're in Christ? How do you know that your salvation is sure? How do you know that you stand in the umbrella of grace knowing that heaven is coming for you? Jesus is coming for you. How do you know? 
you know because as you walk through trials, your hope in him will grow. If your hope has grown in Jesus through the trials that you've been through, if you were singing that song a little bit ago, rain came, winds blew, but I'm standing strong on you, right? If you sang that knowing and thinking about times in your life that you've gone through something and you came through that still trusting in Jesus, guess what? What Paul is saying is be assured that you know him and you love him and you're in him and you have salvation in Christ because he died and he rose again to secure that for you. And you wouldn't come through that with hope if you didn't love Jesus. You wouldn't come through it in hope if you didn't have salvation. You would come through that in despair. You would come through that not having any hope at all, but you do. If you've ever wondered, is my, is my faith real? The way that God, by his grace, answers that question is trials. That's the way he answers that question. You know why? Because he loves you. And he wants you to not ask that question anymore. So that's the second thing. The third thing, how do we know? How do we know we're in this? How do we know we have eternal salvation? Is that we have the Spirit of God. And we're going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks. I hope you guys continue to join us um, as we walk through these next few chapters of Romans because they are gold, y'all. And, and Paul's going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit through these chapters and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And so in verse five, he says, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He, he says, hope does not disappoint us. Hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. God has given us his spirit. How do you know you're in Christ? Because the Holy Spirit lives in you now. Yeah, read, read the letter of 1 John. The letter of 1 John is all about this, that God in his spirit fills us with his love to love him and to love others. And he says, the Holy Spirit has poured the love of God into our hearts. Isn't that interesting? I think that's interesting. I think it's kind of strange. You almost expect him to not say love right there, right? The Holy Spirit has poured his what? Maybe his knowledge into us. Maybe the Holy Spirit has poured his righteousness into us. Maybe he's poured his holiness into us. But he says, he says love that the Holy Spirit has poured his love into our hearts. Why does he say love? Let's go back to Peter. Why go tell the disciples and Peter? What did Peter do the couple nights before as Jesus was arrested? Peter, the one disciple who was most bold and most vocal and most proud to say, I'm going to stand with you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go, Jesus. I'm going to fight with you, Jesus, all the way to the cross, Jesus, if I have to. And as soon as the hard things came, what did he do? He ran, and then as soon as somebody asked him about it, he denied that he even knew him. And so you can imagine the guilt and the pain and the shame that Peter felt when Jesus died, but maybe even more, I think maybe the worst thing for Peter was not that Jesus died, it was that he came back to life because now he's got to face him. You know what I'm saying? Like now he has, like Jesus knows what he did. Jesus looked at him. The gospels say that like when Peter denied him, Jesus made eye contact with him and Peter went out and did what? He wept bitterly. And so now Jesus has risen from the dead. The angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? You know why? I think this is why. Because Peter didn't consider himself to be a disciple, not at this moment. And so in John 21, Jesus, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, it says that Peter goes back out to go fishing, and his, his friends go with him. The other disciples go with him, um, which is interesting, right? Because when Jesus first met Peter, what did Jesus tell Peter? 
I'm going to make you no longer a fisherman, but a fisher of men. But Peter, because maybe he doesn't consider himself at this moment a disciple, he's failed too badly. He's gone too far away from Jesus. He's going back to his old self. You ever want to go back? You ever want to go back to your old self? You ever want to do the old things? You ever want to go the old ways? You want to hang with the old people? For Peter, it was the fish. He wanted to hang with the fish. He wanted to go back doing what he used to do, being who he used to be, because he just felt like he'd failed too much. And Jesus shows up on the beach as they're out on the lake. And he calls Peter. Like, Peter's like, is that you, Jesus? And Jesus, is me. And, Je-. and Peter like jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore, right? And he gets on the beach and Jesus makes him breakfast on the beach. Something I love about this story. Jesus doesn't do any miracles here. He just makes breakfast for Peter. But then he does this. He asks him a couple questions. Verse 15, John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? I think he's talking about the fish. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Paul said that one of the ways we know we are saved that we know we have salvation eternally in Christ is how that the Holy Spirit has poured his love into our hearts. What did Jesus ask Peter? What did he not ask Peter? You know what he didn't ask Peter? Do you know me? Didn't ask him that. He didn't ask him, do you remember all the miracles I did, Peter? Didn't ask him that. Peter, do you remember when you walked on water with me? Didn't ask him that. You know what else he didn't ask him? Peter, can you explain justification by faith? Didn't ask him that. You know what else he didn't ask him? Peter, are you sorry? Peter, are you, are you, you, you promise to never deny me again. Jesus is a good God. He's gracious and he's kind. He just asked him this. Peter, do you love me? Why? Because it is a sign, y'all. It is a sign, a sure sign of our salvation, that we live in the umbrella of the grace of God and the salvation that he has secured for us by his death and his resurrection. If we can answer that question with a yes. The question, does Jesus love you, has been answered. That question is answered. It was answered there, and it was answered when he walked out of that tomb. I don't think Peter needed that question answered. Does Jesus love me? 
Peter wasn't struggling with that question. He knew Jesus loved him. That might be the reason he did run away because he couldn't bear to stand, to stand in front of the face of the one who loved him that much that he would die for him and then walk out of that tomb. Peter needed to know, do I love him? I don't know if I do anymore. I don't know. I think I failed too much. I think I've gone too far. I think maybe I'm lost. I don't know if my heart can get to that place. But Paul said, what does God do for us? He pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That is, that we can receive the love of God, but then we can also love him in return. That's the question that Peter needed answered that day. Not, does Jesus love me? Do I love Jesus? Here's the question you need to answer this morning. The question is not, does Jesus love you? I'll answer that one for you. Yes. He loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what this past year has looked like for you. Listen, I don't care if you haven't been to church since last Easter. Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. Jesus is with you, and Jesus died for you, and he rose again for you. That's not the question that needs answered. We have that guarantee and that promise. Here's the question you need to answer this morning. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Again, like Peter, not do you know him, not do you know who he is. You can read all about him. There's lots of people that know about Jesus. That's not the question. It's do you love him? The real him, by the way, because you need to really know him in order to love him. Does that make sense? You can't love someone you don't know. You need to know him for sure. But when it comes right down to it, it's do you love him? Because listen, that, the answer to that question, if it's yes, that is a miracle of miracles in a world that despises him, in a world that mocks him. In a world that makes fun of Jesus and his church and his followers every day. Turn on the TV, y'all. Watch Netflix. Watch a stand-up comedian. They're going to mock it. They're going to make fun of it. They're going to make fun of him. They're going to make fun of you. The question is not just simply, do you know him? The question is not, do you understand justification? Right? The question's not, have you cleaned yourself up? The question's not, are you, do you promise to never sin again? The question's not, can you do all the right things? The question's not, can you work really hard? The question's not, will you start coming to church every Sunday? The question's not, will you read your Bible front to back? The question's not, will you say this kind of prayer? The question is, do you love Jesus? Do you see him for who he is and what he's done there and what he's done walking out of that tomb? Do you believe in him with a belief that is full of the love for him that he has poured into your heart? Guys, it is a miracle to love Jesus. And you cannot do it unless the Spirit has poured that love into your heart because you've seen him, you've seen what he's done, and you believe in him and you love him. And so it was that Peter, that disciple, that apostle that was so changed, so radically changed that day on the beach by Jesus, who years later would write a letter. And this is how he begins his letter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The apostle Peter writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth 
into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That Peter The Peter who wanted to go back, the Peter who wanted to fish again, the Peter who wanted to give it all away because he didn't know if he could continue to follow Jesus, the one who he had betrayed, the one who he had let down. He writes, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us new birth into what? A living hope, a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why was Peter's hope alive? Because Jesus was alive. Why was Peter's hope alive? Because he ate breakfast with him on a beach. And guess what? Dead men don't eat breakfast. Do you know that? Peter was changed, y'all. Not because he walked on water. Peter was changed because he ate breakfast with a guy who was dead three days before that. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now you're saying, yeah, but here's the thing. I'm not Peter. I didn't eat breakfast with Jesus on the beach. I didn't see him with my eyes. Well, guess what? Peter was writing this letter who are to people who are in the same uh, situation as us because here's what he said in a couple verses later. He says, verse eight, though you have not seen him, listen, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though you haven't seen him, you love him. Peter is saying that's the new birth miracle. When he said he's given us new birth into a living hope, that's it. What is the new birth? What is the miracle that God has purchased for you? It's that you would believe in him and love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? If you do, rejoice and be glad that your salvation in him is sure. Because when the whole world mocks him, when the whole world crucifies him again and again, you and I rejoice in him and we love him. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ through his resurrection. So we're just going to listen. We're going to sing again this morning. We're going to praise Jesus for dying and rising again for us. And I just want to make this invitation that if you need prayer, For anything this morning, you are welcome to come to the front and receive prayer. And maybe you just need to grow in that hope. You need to grow in your love for Jesus. Uh, If you're anybody in here and you're on the prayer team and you want to come up front and just offer yourself to pray for anybody who comes down, you are welcome to do that. But then also, if you specifically maybe want to put your faith in Jesus this morning, you want to say for the very first time, I do love him. And I want to I wanna trust him with my life. I'm going to stand over here by this cross. And if you just want to come talk with me, I'd love to talk with you about that. Pray with you about putting your faith in Jesus Christ, our living hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. The hope that we have in him, the life that we have in him. Grow us in our love, our affection for your son. The one who was crucified and the one who lives for our justification, our salvation forever. We praise his name. We love him in Jesus' name. Amen.